Okay, we're going to play a little game of who knows their, uh, their music lyrics. Don't it always seem to go? Yeah, well, I'd say about 50% of you knew that. Bonus points. Who sang that? Who wrote it initially? Yeah, County Crows did a version of it, but not originally. It was written by? No, no one knows. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. There's, oh, I didn't hear that. Thank you. Yeah, full points to Hayden. There's a truth there in that line. Not the rest of it about building a car park uh, in paradise, but that it always seems to go, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. We don't appreciate what we have until it's no longer there. This last uh, couple of weeks, I, I stupidly, um, inadvertently, I might add, kind of updated my phone. It just keeps asking me to update it. And I know that it's an iPhone and I shouldn't update it because when I do, it just will go slow. But I was in a, in a kind of bit of a, a frantic place and I just needed to access my phone. I was just, oh, get out of there. And I, and I pushed update. And you can't, you can't reverse it. Once it's updated, it's gone. And so then for the, for the last few weeks, my battery has just like, I just look at my phone and it loses half its battery life. It's just so frustrating. And, and it made me realize, I, I just took it for granted. I just took it for, so for granted. Now, this might be a small thing, but it's so true. Like, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't have anywhere near as nice a phone as I do now. And I didn't, you know, read the news and watch YouTube and, and, and Facebook and all those things, Spotify, all that stuff that I just take for granted. But when your phone is like on 50% charge after an hour of use and you're like, oh, this isn't going to last me through the day, all of a sudden you realize that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And it got me thinking, you know, in our lives, there's that, there's that phenomenon that happens that we want something. Let's say it's a small thing like a a new pair of shoes, or maybe it's an yes, maybe it's an electronic device or something. But or maybe it's something something bigger. Maybe it's a car or a or a house, or maybe it's even not a you know a, a monetary thing. Maybe it's a it's a person. Maybe we want a relationship with a certain somebody. But whatever it is, the thing that we want, we 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 just we we fixate on it and we want that. And we think that that thing will somehow make us happy. And we get, eventually, you know, we, we get that thing. And for a while, it's like, oh, check out my new shoes. Every time you put them on, you're like, yeah, these are good. For the first little while. But then over time, and it's inevitable that this happens, we, this shine kind of comes off. And, 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 and obviously, it lasts longer the bigger the thing is, and the longer perhaps we've longed for it, the more we've wanted it. But it's inevitable that eventually, it's not going to satisfy. You know that feeling, don't you? You know that. Now, that's, that's fine if it's your shoes. Not so fine if it's your wife, <laughs> or your husband, or your significant other. You know, it's, it's not so good because we know that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And actually, that whole idea that we, we, just, we just had that other thing, uh, it actually is the root of so many of the world's problems. 
if you think about you know the state our world is in today that the west especially has this constant desire for more and and want for more and and we disregard our our, our environments and we disregard poor and and the needy and, and other countries because we just have this desire for more and and if you think about it in terms of your own life you chase after this thing and then it it satisfies a little bit, but then after a while it doesn't. And then you chase after another thing. And, and life can just be this series of chasing after things. Or you think about the, the terrible stats around divorce and separation. That, that's just a form of that as well. We, we get familiar with what we've got and we, we look over and we think, oh, you know, the grass is always greener. Well, no, it ain't. But we think it is. It's, 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 it's deep in us as humans that we, we, we lose satisfaction. We lose, um, yeah, just appreciation of what we have over time. Would you agree? Is this just me? No, 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 yeah. It's, it's all of us. And so that is why we're doing this series. We're doing this series, and, and wait for it, you'll get blown away. We're doing this series called Grateful. Woo! Wow! Yes, I am grateful. Uh, I tell you what, great, gratefulness, it's an amazing concept. And uh, I want you to get it so much that I'm just going to imprint it on the back of your retina uh, with, with this. So, so we're, we're going to look at this whole idea of being a grateful people. Because I, I don't know about you, but gratefulness is so important. In fact, it's so important that that I've got a phrase, and you can, you can borrow this. It says, living grateful makes life both great and full. That's good, eh? Living grateful makes life both great and full. You can write that down. Um, but it's true. It might sound like a trite little phrase, but there's truth in it. So today, we're going to look at some passages. We're going to look at some, uh, some people in the Bible, some who weren't particularly grateful, and some who were. So just to give you a bit of background, we're going to start with, with the story of the, the people of Israel. Now, uh, a lot of you might know this story, but some of you won't. So uh, the people of Israel, they, they end up in Egypt. They end up in Egypt because there was a famine in the land, and, uh, and they had to go there. And Joseph brought them there, and things were pretty good for the first wee while. And uh, they lived happily with the Egyptians. But eventually they kind of prospered, and the Egyptians weren't so happy about that. So the Egyptians made them, the Israelites, their slaves. They basically put them into slavery. And for about 400 years or so, they were their slaves. And that's where we pick up the story because the the people have been in slavery and Moses is asked by God to to lead the people out of slavery. And so he does um, these amazing miracles before Pharaoh, uh, 10 um, plagues that are are pretty amazing. And, uh, and eventually Pharaoh says, yeah, you can go. Please, please go. And, uh, and so they leave. And God gives the people this promise. He says in Exodus 3, 7 and 8, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they leave. And they don't just 
leave. They actually leave blessed. They leave with uh, a whole lot of gold and jewelry and, and good stuff from the Egyptian people. And they, and they start to, to, to flee and, and to go to their promised land. But they see uh, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he starts coming after them. And then we, we find in Exodus 14, this is what happens in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and, they, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they haven't got very far and they're complaining. It doesn't take them very long, these Israelites, before coming out of slavery, they are in a place of worry and fear and complaint before God. And those of you who know the story know that God delivers them. There's this amazing miracle where Moses parts the Red, well, God parts the Red Sea at Moses' command. And, and they're led through and then the, Israel, the Egyptians try to follow and the, the water comes over them and they're destroyed and they're led out of that place. And, and that's awesome. And, the, and for a few days, the people of Israel are happy. And, they, and Miriam sings a song and uh, she leads them in the song, and they, and they celebrate. It's good. And you think, oh, that's good. But then, Exodus 15, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Everybody say, Shur. Oh, Shur. Oh, Shur. They went there. Uh, it's the Irish desert. They went to Shur. Uh, for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Three days. It took them three days before they started complaining again. David worships God in church on a Sunday with all he's got. Three days later, he's complaining because his phone's battery life is terrible. And he's, why me? What's going on? Insert your name in this. Is worshiping and praising God. Three days later, something has happened. And what's happened? You're complaining once again. It doesn't take us long, often, to get back on the complaining boat as it were. So they go on. Exodus 16, 1 to 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Oh, by the way, they, they found water and they went to this lovely spring called Elam. Uh, and they came to the desert of Sin, not a particularly auspicious name for a desert, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are you seeing a theme here? The Israelites get rescued. They start complaining. Get rescued. They start complaining. Get rescued. They start complaining. This time it's about food. 
this time. They, they actually wished they were back in Egypt. They've, come, they've forgotten that they were in slavery, but, oh, at least we had pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. So they start whinging yet again. So God does a miracle. He says, okay, here's this stuff called manna. And from out of the heavens, just kind of lands on the earth. And each morning they would gather it up and they would eat. And, and God provides for them. Once again, God provides. And you think they would be happy and they would trust God. But wait, Exodus 17, the very next chapter. But the people were thirsty for water again there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They were getting so angry with Moses, they were blaming him because he was the connection with God, that they were ready to kill him. Yet again, the people of God have just come back into this place of complaint. Numbers, it just keeps you I'm going to give you one more example. I know you're probably like, oh my goodness, does it stop? Well, it, it does eventually, but here we go. Numbers 11, 4 to 6. The rabble with them began to crave other food. So they weren't actually, yeah, they weren't even happy with what they'd been given. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. I bet it wasn't. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Let's get specific. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. It wouldn't have mattered what God did. He kept doing miracles. He kept providing for them. He, you know, he could, he could have done anything and they still would have complained. They're even complaining about the miracle provision that God has given them. How about ungrateful? Oh, God, God provides for you, oh, and he does it a few times in the same way, and you just get a bit bored of it. Oh, God, stop providing for me in that way. Please just make it more interesting because your provision thus far is just, oh, I'm a bit over manna. I'm a bit over this food that I don't have to plant and grow and work for. I'm a bit over this easy life that you've given me, just providing everything for me. Talk about ungrateful. So what is it? What is it that makes? I'm done with the examples. You'll be pleased to know. But what is it with the people of Israel that makes them so ungrateful? Because it can't be the circumstances, because God keeps providing for them. God keeps meeting their needs. So we've got to go a little deeper. And Jesus himself, Quoting uh, actually Proverbs, he says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You might have heard it that way. There is something deep in the heart of the Israelites that is causing them to complain. It's causing them to keep this going round and round the mountain of complaints. And it got me thinking about and I was discussing this with Mayor about, you know, what, what, what is it? It's their attitude, essentially, isn't it? If we think about our heart, it's, it's about our heart attitude. Now, I could very easily say to you, well, you've just got to have an attitude of gratitude. And you go, oh, that's catchy. 
Um, that's cool. I'll just do that. But how many of you know it's not easy to change your attitude? You know, we, we, we just tell our kids, just, you, know, you just need to change your attitude. But that's actually a really hard thing to do. And so I want to I help unlock that a little bit for you this morning because our attitude is actually all about the story that we tell ourselves. It's all about story. You know, God is the greatest storyteller. And, and, and the Bible is essentially the story of humanity and God interacting with them. But we as, we as humans, we, we're designed for story. It's why we love watching movies and TV programs and reading books and, 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 and talking and just telling yarns and stories. We love story. And story is, is, is essential to who we are. And it's actually, it goes deep, and I don't want to be, a, you know, psychoanalyze this, but there is a story that we tell ourselves. There is a story that you and I tell ourselves about how our life goes. And that story is incredibly powerful. See, for the Israelites, the story that they had told themselves for 400 years was that God doesn't care. God's forgotten us. We're in slavery. God actually doesn't care what happens to us. He's, he's left us here. And th their story was one of hopelessness, of despair, of that God doesn't love us. And that, that, that had gone around, that had been instilled in them over, over generations to the point when, when Moses comes, and he, and he leads them out of slavery, they can't get their heads around it. They're still in that place. They're still telling themselves the story of complaint. They're still telling themselves the story that, oh, you know, things are going to go bad again. Oh, woe is me. Look, we've got no food. Oh, we've got no water. Oh, they're coming. Oh, things are bad. Oh, even though each time God meets them, each time he provides, they're still stuck in the story that they tell themselves, that actually things aren't going to change. Actually, this is how my life goes. The Israelites were stuck in their story. And I think we often get stuck in our story. There is a story that you tell yourself about how your life goes or how your life is going. And most of us aren't even aware of it. We just slip into it. And we interpret everything that happens through that story. So say a friend, uh, you, you know, you see them at the supermarket, and they don't see you. And you tell yourself, oh, they, they, they snubbed me. They, they don't, they're not actually my friend they don't they never really did like me and you start to tell yourself because that's actually the the expectation that you have had and it's the story that you've kind of known and so that becomes your truth even though it's actually just the fact that that person never saw you and actually the truth is far different but we interpret it through the story that we tell ourselves there's a term called Confirmation bias. Have you heard of that? Okay, so it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a psycho, psychology term. It, it basically means that um, 
we interpret things that happen based on what we kind of expect or what we have come to to uh, to know about our situation. So so basically the the the, the hypotheses we've kind of formed around how life goes for us, whenever we see a situation, we take that situation and we help it to confirm our bias. We confirm, oh, that is what's always happened for me. And it's a very subtle thing, but it's real and it happens all the time. So, for example, I, I, drop, a, I drop a plate and... Uh, and I think, oh, oh, I'm just, I'm clumsy. And I've said that to myself several times, multiple times before because I've dropped other things. But the truth of the matter is everybody drops something every now and then. But I just remember those things and it confirms the story and, and therefore that confirmational bias. Everything I, I believe about myself has just been confirmed by that. And confirmational bias is, is very powerful, especially when it's an emotive subject or when it's something that's a deeply held belief. And so when, it, when it's something that is integral to you, uh, maybe it's from your family life. That's why coming, becoming a Christian later in life can be hard because you've got all this, you've already had a story and it's been confirmed time and time again. And then actually God comes and says, no, no, that's not the story. And you're like, what? You've got to almost unlearn all the stories, all the things that you've been telling yourself and unravel it all and start again and tell a different story. So there's this idea of confirmational bias. There's also this idea of, of selective recall. Selective recall is when we, uh, we only really remember the things that confirm what we think about ourselves. They confirm the story that we've been telling ourselves. So when I drop the plate, I, I remember all the other times that I dropped a, a, a plate through a glass. I don't remember the thousands of other times where I picked up a plate and it was fine. I, only, I selectively remember the other times. Now, maybe that's not a great example, but there are things in your life you will only selectively remember what confirms what you think about yourself. And so somebody, that person in the supermarket might have been a great friend to you time and time again. But you remember, you selectively recall that other time that they weren't there for you. That one time when actually they had something else going in their life and they couldn't be there for you. You remember that rather than all the other times. And that feeds into that story. It's what happened to the Israelites. They start to go, oh, I remember when we were in Egypt and we had meat. And we ate all this food, and it was great. They select that rather than the fact that they were in slavery. They have completely forgotten the fact that they had to do what their masters said, that they didn't have any choice in the matter, that they were slaves. They've, they've blotted that out of their memory, but they're selectively thinking, oh, man, things were so good back then. Oh, the, we do that too. We do that too, and all of these things, they shape the story we tell about ourselves. And if we're not careful, they will cause us to, to become ungrateful. Because, I don't know, there's something about human nature, but we, we, we kind of wind back to, to negative stuff. 
and the stories that we remember and the things we'll tell ourselves are often just the bad stuff. And we choose, or somehow we forget the other good stuff. And we've got to rewrite that story. So that's, that's an example of, of an ungrateful people. But what about some gratefulness? Well, King David is, is an amazing uh, man, and he's actually a forerunner of Jesus. He's, in many ways, he's a picture of Jesus. He gets stuff wrong. He's not perfect, but, but he's, uh, he's kind of a messianic figure in the Old Testament. And King David is, um, he doesn't have it all easy, just to give you a bit of a background to our, to our scripture. He's, uh, he's anointed at a young age to become king, but Saul is king, and Saul is not a good king, and Saul doesn't like David, and he chases him down, and he, and he tries to kill him. And for years, David is, uh, things are pretty hard for David. He's running from cave to cave, and just kind of with this rabble of guys, and things aren't that great. Eventually, he becomes king, and on the whole, he's a good king, but he's also, he's a warrior king. And so he, he, he goes to battle a lot. And he also does some stuff wrong. He commits adultery. He has a man killed. And so he's not perfect. And uh, coming nearer the end of his life, David wants, because David's got a grateful heart. David wants to do something for his God. And so he's like, I want to build a temple for God to say thank you and, and to honor him properly. Because why should I live in this palace? And, and he doesn't have a, a great temple um, to dwell in. So, so David makes these plans, and, and God actually says, that, No, no, David, I don't want you to make me a temple. Your son Solomon will do that because you're a man of blood and you've, you've done some stuff in your life, and, and I don't want you to do it. Now, David at that point could have told himself this story. He could have said, Ah, oh, God doesn't really care for me. He allowed Saul to hound me, to chase me down. It was only by my own smarts and, and, the, and the men around me that I managed to become king. And, and still God wants to thwart me. I'm trying to do something good for him here, and he's, and he's not letting me do it. Ah, uh, God doesn't love me. That could have been the story that he told himself. But it's not. If you want to turn to 1 Chronicles 29, this is what David says David in verse 10 chapter 29 David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying praise be to you Lord the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting yours Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours yours Lord is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you you are the ruler of all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for Building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So David tells himself this story. God is good. God loves me. He's got a good plan for me. He stood by me all this time, and I'm going to give him my gratitude. I'm going to give him everything that I can. I'm going to give him from my wealth. I'm going to give him my heart. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to give him my people. I'm going to give him my son. He is sovereign. He is in control, and I trust him. That is the song that David sings. That is the heart of gratitude that, that I believe makes David a man after God's own heart. That's what, that's what God said of David. He's a man after my own heart. And that is the spirit. That is the heart that we need to develop. A grateful heart. Like David. Not like the Israelites, but like David. Now, how do we do that? How do, do we develop that? It's not as simple as just saying, oh, I've got to get an attitude of gratitude. How do we develop that in our lives? I'm glad you asked. So firstly, what we've got to do is we've got to change the story. Change the story that you're telling yourself. I was uh, tidying the house the other day. I do do that. Um, and uh, I found a, a, this necklace down the back of one of the couches and I was like, oh, I wanted to put it away. I said, oh, who's this? And uh, there was only Tessa in the room. And she said, straight away, she said, it's Ruby's. Oh, no, it's mine. <laughs> Actually, it's mine. And I was like, there was a big pause there, Tessa. Was that, was that really true? Now, now, Tessa is five. She's learning about lying and how it's not a good thing. We're working on that. But Tessa changed her story. Just like that. She changed her story. Now, yes, she changed her story from, a lie, from the truth to a lie. But I think just as easily we can change our story from the lie to the truth. You can change the story that you tell yourself. Yeah, it's probably easier when you're younger. Get Tessa could do it like that. And possibly she even believed in her heart. She's like, that could be mine. That's mine. <laughs> She's like, yes, I claim that. But you know, we can change our story. We can. There's nothing stopping us. Now, in the, in the people of Israel, there were, there were two, Caleb and Joshua. In fact, for all their complaining that they did, in Israel, sorry, coming out of Egypt and, and in the desert, the Israelites that came out, they didn't actually get to go into their promised land. All of them except for the two that changed the story. The two that believed, no, actually God is for me and I can go into that promised land that God has promised. Remember the promise? Way back in Exodus, God said, I'm going to lead them into a spacious place, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that is what Caleb and Joshua declare when they go. They go, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, and we can go there. 
They believed that promise. They changed that story. All the others just stayed with the old story. They've been believing, been believing for maybe 400 years. You haven't been believing the same story for 400 years. You know, average age, I don't know, 30-something, let's say. You've been believing some stories for a while. But those stories can change. They change when something happens in your heart and you realize, actually, God is for me. This scenario, because you can change so many stories. I could spend all day listing scenarios in your workplace. Oh, my, my boss um, doesn't appreciate me. Maybe that's a story that you tell yourself. You can change that story. Oh, my spouse, they don't respect me because they're always running late. And they're always pushing the boundary. That, that, that's just, a, and you know, you, you get that confirmation bias. You, you just remit, you. You remember the times when they were late. Rather than all the times that they were on time, you somehow, you've blocked those hours. No, no, I don't know what the story, my kids, they don't appreciate me. Well, your kids made you a card for, you know, recently, and they, and they, and they, they said thank you a number of times, but this one time they didn't. And you're focusing on that, and you, oh, that, that story that I tell myself, that they don't appreciate me. It's like a broken record that starts going around again. Come on, we can change the story. You can change the story. And actually, changing the story will change your whole life. Because, you know, becoming grateful makes life both great and full. Okay? And, and when, we, when we start to live grateful, when we start to change the story, then, then, then our lives change as well. This is life-changing stuff. So, so we change the story. Number two is that we turn our complaints to praise. We turn our complaints to gratefulness, to thanksgiving. We, we, we stop, and this, this is hard to do, but we needed to stop and turn the situation around. Uh, I was, yesterday I was changing the oil and the filter on my car, a big car, and, and I hadn't done it before, so it was a new job for me and the oil filter is tiny and it's way up and underneath and it's not easy to get at and uh and i couldn't get it off so i went to super cheap the other day and i bought a tool which i thought would be able to do it because it was really small and they only had certain tools would fit it and anyway i'm working away at it and i managed to break the filter without getting it off and then there's oil coming out that means i can't drive it anywhere to get it someone to fix it and I'm like, ah, oh. and I was complaining. How many of you know I was complaining? Because I need that car. We need that car to get family to church tomorrow. Um, and uh, and I, and I realised, oh look, I've just got, I've just got to step back from this for a sec. Call my dad because he's the expert <laughs> on this kind of thing. And and realise, oh actually, no, no, this can be solved. And I am grateful that Repco is open. That I can go there and I can buy another tool. That that I actually have a car, another car that I can drive to Repco in. And that actually, you know, in every situation, there is something to complain about. And there's something to be grateful for. Would you agree? You Pretty much every situation in your life, there is something you can complain about and something you can be grateful for. Oh my goodness, we're having nachos again. Hey, 
you can be grateful that you have food on your plate because a large portion of the world doesn't. Oh, uh, you know, man, my house is cold this winter. Well, at least you have a roof over your head. You can be grateful that you have a house to live in. Uh, oh, my job sucks. Uh, my, my, my workmates are horrible. Well, you have a job. You have a way of earning. You can go through any scenario. There is always something you can complain about and you can be grateful for. What do we choose to focus on? What do we choose to talk about? When we meet our friends and they ask, how's your week going? Do you immediately go to, oh, well, and then the complaints come out? Because I tell you, in your week, there will be things that you can complain about. I'm sure there are. But there will be things you can be grateful for every time. And we just need to learn. It's part of changing that story. We need to learn to focus not on the complaining things, but on the grateful things. And if you want to know, I got, I got, it, I got it off. I fixed it. The car's here. <laughs> well, I used another tool, uh, bit of cardboard, bit of Kiwi ingenuity, wrapped it around. Anyway, it works. It worked. Yes, I was happy. But I was grateful. But I tell you what, I was also grateful for the lesson. Uh, <laughs> thanks, God. Um, there are easier ways you could have told me that, I'm sure. But I tell you what, when, when we change the story and when we turn our complaints to praise, then we start to change ourselves, to change our lives. And the third, the third way we do it is that we have to speak it out. You have to actually make some noise about it. Because, you know, gratefulness is not really gratefulness until it's expressed. Now, yes, God, you know, understands your thoughts. And so in a way, you can be grateful on the inside towards God. But actually, there's something powerful when we speak it out. Actually, can I grab Amanda um, up on the keys? It'd be awesome. There's something powerful, not actually just for God, because as I said, God you know, can understand our thoughts, but for you. Actually, the, the gratefulness, the words you speak are powerful for you because there is power in words. Uh, the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And when you speak something out, it actually changes you. The more you speak gratitude, the more grateful you will become. And you go, oh, I'm grateful on the inside. Well, sure, but that person doesn't hear that. And you don't hear that. And so you are not changing particularly much. And your gratitude isn't growing. Because actually, I believe as we grow in God, we should be growing in gratitude. Would you agree with that statement? As we grow in God, we should be growing in gratitude. But what happens is that we become familiar. As Christians, we do it. When we remember back to the time you first gave your life to Jesus. I remember it. I was, I was on the cloud nine. I was, it was an amazing experience. And I, and I felt God's presence. And I was so grateful as a as a teenager and for all the sin that I'd done at that point, I was so grateful for the grace of God in my life. But over time, what can happen is that I can grow ungrateful. I can begin to think, oh, oh yeah, no, that's cool. But if I don't express it, that gratefulness begins to die. That's why it's so important that we gather here every week and we worship God. But, but how many of you know that once a week is not enough? You can't rely on, on some grateful words spoken on a Sunday to last you till Friday 
or Saturday, you've got to be putting in place some gratefulness in your life every day. So that's why when I do my Bible reading, I start, actually at the moment, I just be starting with Psalm 150. And I read that and I try and read that out loud. It's not too early in the morning. And, uh, and I speak that out because it's a psalm of praise. It's just saying, God, I thank you. I praise you. And speaking it out is powerful. It, it changes me. And speaking it out will change you. I am convinced that over the course of this series, we're doing this in the month of July, I'm expecting us to become more grateful. And actually, I think it's a perfect time. The middle month of winter, when often we're like, oh, just hard, it's cold. No, no. Let's start to be thankful. Let's start to be grateful that we live in a beautiful country. I love the changing of the seasons. I know that spring is coming. I love the trees in this season. I love seeing the, the frost. I love the, the, ice, the cold bike rides in the morning. I love the, the huggling by the fire at night. You know, there are so many things to be grateful for in every season. And we actually need to develop. It's like a muscle. Gratitude in your life is like a muscle. And it will wither away unless you work on it. And the way you work on it is by speaking out your gratefulness. So why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to do this practically now.